it's it sounds like it's way out there as far as strength and conditioning goes but it's a living organism that you're dealing with like those basics of temperature light water you know movement they're they're huge and then humans we have that next layer of we need meaning in our lives you know and we need we need social support we need to be part of a, a tribe no one's a loner people say they're a loner i like time alone as well but i'm you know everybody needs to feel like they're an important part of a social system and that feeling of social isolation and, and not being a valuable member of a community like that's going to massively negatively impact your performance if you think that being a, pl- a professional athlete has no bigger purpose and no no social you know whatever you're not going to train the same as if you feel like this is my vehicle for social change that was strength coach and founder of The Real Movement Project, Keegan Smith, speaking on the importance of social and environmental factors in athletic performance. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches, training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to episode 153 of the Just Live Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thanks for being here today. We have a long-awaited guest, Keegan Smith, uh, as our guest. And I say long-awaited, we've actually been trying to get this uh, date, everything to line up and, and get this going for about a year, and we finally made it happen, and I am more than thrilled. I've, I've been a big fan of Keegan's work for a while. Uh, Keegan, uh, by the way, he is a strength coach and founder of The Real Movement Project, uh, which is an organization designed to mentor and assist coaches and individuals in not only strength, but also personal growth. He also does a lot of really cool things like has his own farm. He's really into um, really just a diverse and holistic approach at the human body, uh, not only uh, training ourselves to win. And uh, I think we just we often like train to win and kick the other team's butt. Right. And that's the end of it. But Keegan takes things a lot farther than that, zooms out and uh, and really makes us look deeply at this thing we call strength. So a little bit more of his background as well. He's worked with Premiership winning Sydney Roosters in the Australian National Rugby League along with five other professional teams. Um, and so 
clearly he has reached a high level of success in the sports performance world. But what makes Keegan different, and this is honestly one of the reasons the this was one of the real big reasons I'm like I have to get Keegan on the show, is Keegan spent six years sleeping on floors, living in third world communities, looking for solutions of how to make a difference. He has a way of looking at human performance from a growth-oriented perspective, and he has a huge arsenal of movements in his toolbox, calisthenics, juggling, other body weight challenges. Uh, Keegan is just a wise, insightful, and experienced individual, and I'm always looking for this show of people who can always get outside the box. Um, I think I've mentioned this before, but it's hard to read the label when you're inside the bottle. People who are outside the bottle and able to tell us things they've gained uh, from other experience in other cultures and how this all fits in this thing that we call training and sports performance. I've always said it's it's you know it's cool to get people to jump a few inches higher, sprint a few tenths faster, but it's even cooler to make a really big and lasting impact in people's lives and ultimately um, our our community and the world we live in. And so this this show it gets into a lot of things. Uh, Keegan's going to talk about his diverse background experiences in sports performance, strength and conditioning. He's going to share how his time away, spending time in disadvantaged countries helped him to um, help change his philosophy on training athletes. Uh, he's going to talk about an athlete centered performance model and in a high performance environment. Uh, what factors do we look at from an ecological perspective that will yield the highest performers or, or the, that will really uh, allow our athletes to achieve their highest potential. He's going to talk about diversity and getting outside of the box and GPP. Uh, and if you've uh, seen some of my work or see what I'm kind of like, the directions I tend to go, I love those conversations. He's going to talk about uh, his thoughts on barbell training and Olympic lifting. And he's also going to share a little bit about the next direction that he is heading in his own career. So, Again, as I always, as I try to piece together this thing that we call strength and conditioning, sports performance, getting to the core of things as well as zooming out, I think this is an awesome episode that just has a lot of really good wisdom for, I mean, anyone who trains with athletes, period, and anyone who's just training in any means and uh, looking to reach the next level in their own training or even personal development. So that being said, let's get on to this episode 153 with Keegan Smith of The Real Movement Project. How do I not kill plants? And how do, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So actually, I'll ask you again. Don't have ducks. Yeah. How? So what? What? Um, so what? What is your like? Uh, you, so you have a farm. Would you call it a farm, or is it like um, you know ecosystem? Like what? What would be the term for what you got going on with the the animals and and what you have at your spot? I have. It has been called a farm. I did call it a farm. I don't speak about it as much as a farm now because it's a lot less of a farm than it was when it had pigs and goats but yeah do you uh i mean and that's the way to go though like ultimately if you're gonna isn't there something like if you eat organic like or if you know or like eggs or anything like that like probably the less the less far the food has to travel i'm sure the better the nutrition of it all or the value of it all and, and as well as like knowing where your food's coming from like that or uh, or what what's your i mean what's your mix of things are you do you have animals that are just like you know, your chickens or what's, what's the vibe there at the old, uh, Keegan Smith, uh, ranch, ranch slash farm. So we have, we have chickens, we have ducks, we have guinea pigs, we have rabbits. And, uh, what else do we have? Geese. We have geese. We have guard geese that bark at everybody <laughs> and bite people when they come to, to visit our geese place. Are nasty. And then, geese are nasty. And then we have, then we have like snakes and, uh, goannas and, and that sort of stuff that are pretty regularly on site. Uh, wallabies come like they're little kind of kangaroos we, we tend to see them pretty often uh, out the back as well so there's 
some that we cultivate and some that just come and visit us. There's like wild ducks and stuff that come and visit and, and steal the food from the from the chickens and the and the ducks and that as well. So yeah, that's that's what we have at the moment. But you obviously you spent a good deal of time, a big part of what you do, strength coach, movement coach, health coach. Uh what's uh what's your background? So how did you get from um so what took you basically could you describe the journey of of strength coaching to well you're having a, the farm now right like what's been your travels and uh what led you to get into the field yeah i mean i grew up around sport my father's an nrl coach so he, that's basically like the nfl so i was always around big strong guys and I, played, I got into field hockey through a friend and I wanted to go to the Olympics for field hockey. So sport was always a huge part of my life. I didn't know what I wanted to do at the end of high school like a lot of people. So I studied exercise science because that seemed like it made the most sense to help me go to the Olympics, which is, you know, pretty much my obsession at that time, apart from, you know, girls and alcohol, which kind of took over every now and then as my obsessions in my, my late teens. But that I stumbled from that. Like I was told on the first day of university or very early on, like there's no jobs in sport. Don't even think about that. And I was studying exercise science rather than sports science. So it was mostly around old people and insurance type work. And that was really the thrust of where it was going. So I didn't really have that on the radar at all, but I went into some work experience at the rugby league team that my, my father was working with at the time. And I got some experience in that environment. And because I got some experience in that environment, it just led to some work. And I did a massage diploma to try and be somewhat employable coming out of uh, an exercise science degree where they tell you, you know, you're not going to work with anything to do with this. Like you're going to be a personal trainer or you're going to sell medical, you know, do medical sales or something like this. So the massage was like an attempt to be employable. So I did some massage for them and I got some experience in that environment and yeah, like that's kind of how I fell into into like strength coaching and I loved it because it was helping me to get a little bit faster. I was too slow and too weak and too small to play field hockey, which I, I know you guys, it's a girls sport in America and like physically I, I kind of, you know, like it's not a really physically demanding athletic sport like like a lot of other sports. Um, so to be too small and weak for that sport is like, yeah, I was really freaking small and weak. Um, so I fell in love with weight training because, you know, I wanted to go to the Olympics and I was too small and weak and slow. So that that was kind of the journey. And then working with footy guys, I was like, well, you know, some of you guys are like 10, 15, 20 kilos heavier than me, you know, double that for pounds. But, you know, you guys are huge and you're lifting similar weights to me. So you're probably like, you're probably leaving something on the table here. So I kind of felt like I had something to offer from the start as this skinny little dude who, you know, was lifting similar weights to the these kids who wanted to go and play, you know, one of the most brutal sports is, you know, I worked in rugby league, which is, it's kind of like NFL without the pads, but it's a little bit more brutal than rugby union, which you guys might have some contact with. So that's kind of how I fell into it. But then I was just, at some stage, I needed to understand a bit more about the world. So I, I couldn't, just stick with that strength coaching, even though I, I kind of fell into some good roles with it. And I had quite a lot of experience by like 22, but, um, I had kind of itchy feet, so I didn't, I didn't stick with it, but, um, that's, that's kind of how I got started you know, through, through family, through the studies, through my own, you know, my own athletic goals. Yeah. I like, um, I like you mentioned field hockey is, is a women's sport here in the States. And I'm like, but it, I mean, you know, hockey, like, you know, very, you know, that's regards more of a men's sport. So just put it on the ground and I could view like, I could almost view it coming up from like a tribal thing, you know, like let's get some sticks and then let's do this thing. Like, <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, rugby was like 
carry a ball from one town to another. So I guess hockey was like whack a ball from one town to another. And if someone gets in your way, just whack them with a stick <laughs> as well. Like there's some pretty hectic uh, fights back in the days of uh, India, India hockey in the like the 50s and 60s and stuff. But it was a Commonwealth sport. You know, it's part of what the, the English exported to the world. So Australia has that colonial history. And in a lot of the colonies, uh, there's uh, there's some field hockey. It, yeah, it's stuck around in Australia for whatever reason. As a as a men's sport, we're usually top three in the world, you know. So you can, there's an Olympic medal there, so it gives it some legitimacy, I think, for those who are tuning out of the podcast right now because I played a girls' sport. <laughs> field, yeah, field hockey. <laughs> 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 get me out of here. <laughs> no, I, I sounds like it could get gnarly, man. Like I'm super intrigued now. I I don't um. I only have one screen, so it's not like one of those live ones where you can just pull up YouTube. You're sitting on the table. Let's pull up some YouTube and let's look at some like gnarly plays from field hockey where someone just yeah. gets laid out. That's pretty good. <laughs> some pretty good athletes. And a lot of a lot of a lot of my friends like they they the ball goes very very fast. It's one of the fastest you know ball sports. So you can imagine like getting pitched at in baseball, but you're you're basically just standing there with your with your stick and it can go anywhere and you got to defend the goal. You know, sort of that's a scenario that comes up and. Yeah, it's it's uh it's got its it's got its fun side, it's got its brutal side. Yeah, but yeah, any any sport when a stick is in your hands has the capacity to instantly get crazy. <laughs> I'm 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 sure. And then there's always the, obviously ups the skill ante of it all too. So it's like a, a cool mixture of things all at the same time. Yeah, there's definitely a higher hand eye coordination, and you you kind of have to specialize in it quite early. Like it's pretty specialized, like ice hockey, like. You know, you talk about multi-sport athletes versus single-sport athletes. Like, you, if you want to be a hockey player, you got to get into it pretty early, and you got to go pretty hard with with skills, uh, because it is so foreign. Like, it's so different to, you know, you're not just running around and, and catching, and you know, even, yeah, it's it's very specialized. So, you can put a lot of time in and kind of jump ahead of other guys just through hard work, work ethic, and just like you know, handling skills. Mm-hmm. I guess is a is a huge part of the game. So, that was good for me because I'm a pretty obsessive kind of guy. So. I could make a pretty big jump just by putting more time in than other people. And I mean, it's true for most sports, but not, not so much like in athletics, right? Like you can't just keep putting more time in and keep getting better. Like you can for, you know, maybe basketball or something like that. So, um, yeah, the time, time on stick time on field, like really makes a difference. No, I hear you. I hear you. I, I like, um, I like what you said too, about just like the up, the upcoming, the education of a a strength or sports performance uh, professional is is an interesting one because for me it was at least this was in the early two thousand, early to mid two thousands. It was kind of it's like you could do cardiac rehab, like or you could be a personal <laughs> trainer. Like I'm like what? Like I don't like I don't want to do any of that stuff. Like I, it's just I, it's it's very it's very interesting. And I guess. Um, yeah, I, I don't even know what it's like now, but no, I, I totally hear you with that, man. I, and how did you, uh, what, how did you get into the the pro sport end of things and, and working in pro rugby and um, and and can you tell tell us a little bit about your your time uh, on that end? Yeah, I mean, so as I sort of mentioned there, like I had the family connections. My uncle, my father, my brother all work in pro sports as like technical coaches. You know, not not on the strength and conditioning mm-hmm. side, but you know, coaching the sport. So I had those connections there and I was able to get work experience. And from work experience, the head of strength, whether he wanted to be better friends with my dad who was employing him or for whatever reason, I had the opportunity to continue there. And I like, I'm under no illusions. Like I was, I was great. It was lucky to have that opportunity. And then that meant I had some experience. Then I went to England, I quit university during my fourth year because i was like yeah this is this is pretty much bullshit like it's going around in circles here like I'm, i've had enough of this environment 
Um, so I quit there and graduated from just straight exercise science. I didn't finish the rehabilitation mm. part because I had the cardiac rehab to finish and I didn't yeah. really want to do that. So I did the neuromuscular rehab and I'm like, yeah, I'm out of here. This is bullshit. Um, with some personal challenges and whatever that go with that stage of life, but I, I needed a change. And so I ended up doing some massage with the team that my brother was working in with in London at the time. And, uh, yeah, so that was because I did some massage there. Then the next year I got a job there as like an assistant strength and conditioning coach. So that was kind of how I fell into, you know, I got into roles and then I always wanted to do more than what my role was, you know? So if, uh, my job was to just kind of keep an eye on things, like soon enough I was trying to run things or I was writing programs, you know, beyond the scope and presenting them to the coach, you know, the, the head of strength and conditioning and saying like, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And so I ended up basically running the gym of an NRL team, like an NFL team at, at 22, um, wow. because he was doing the on-field and I was doing the gym during the preseason. So like obviously we'd run the programs by each other and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, I was basically running the gym, uh, at that, that age. And he was sort of doing more speed and stuff on the field as, uh, Hayden Knowles. And he's a great strength and conditioning coach, athletics background. And he, he really loved that on field side of things and kind of, uh, yeah, so it, it fit really well. And I had that opportunity pretty young and I guess I got a lot of confidence, you know, out of those experiences, but I, it's probably my personality type to an extent as well. Like I kind of often think I have something good to offer and, you know, some, I tend to research things a little bit deeper than other people and, and experience them a bit more deeply. So then I feel like, well, yeah, this is good stuff. And even if later I don't think it's the best stuff, um, I, what I'm doing at the time, like I, I believe in deeply and I, and I express that. So, you know, I think for those reasons, I was able to work with, you know, pro athletes. Some of them had many years at the top and they played for their country and, you know, on, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, they'd made millions of dollars in their sport. And I was basically there as, almost a volunteer or, you know, a couple hundred bucks a week telling them, telling them what to do. But yeah, you know, I made the most of those kind of opportunities and then I let it go for a while. Like I, I, when I was in that role, actually, I was trying to make my last kind of run at playing in the national hockey team. And I, I played for the, I was trying for the state team and I was sort of going to do that again. And that's sort of the, there's only, there's only a few key states in Australia. So it's not like America. If you're playing state, then you're not that far off playing nationally. And, uh, so I was at that, but I was just had itchy feet. I just needed to go and see the world. I'd had that time in England and I realized how ignorant I was when I was in England because I'd go out partying and I'd meet people from all over the world and they would speak multiple languages and they knew about a bunch of stuff. And I was just this kid who didn't really study history and I only really knew about sports and I just had this tiny little vision of the world. And I was like, man, I need to, I need to see something here. I need to understand what's going on here. And I, I had kind of some some lingering kind of anger about the system of debt and the system of education and just, you know, I'd had some depression through my teens and I was like just angry at the system, I guess, to a large extent, listening to a lot of angry kind of rock, which was, you know, I think music was a lot better in those times as well, but um, that's probably another conversation, but yeah. I, I needed to go and explore something. So uh, yeah, I turned my back on the, on the strength and conditioning there for a while to go and see, see what the world was about. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in a second here, I want to get into like basically your your strength and conditioning philosophy. I think the way that you kind of see it and, and see things differently. But what um you know when you when you got away from you know the the strength and conditioning and and kind of went and explored the world, and I'm assuming like you probably came back with a new frame on things. Or what was uh what yeah. was what did your time in in that like kind of a sabbatical, I guess you could say, teach you? 
yeah, I didn't I didn't see it as time off. Other people did when I said like, yeah, I'm out of here, and and they're like, what are you gonna do for work? I'm no, I'm not gonna work. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go and learn. I'm just gonna go and be with these other people and see what their their things about. But um, yeah, it was it was huge. You know, like I I spent time with people who had a completely different history and different reality, different culture. And, you know, I lived in Mayan villages where they didn't even speak much Spanish. And, you know, I learned Spanish. I became fluent in Spanish. But then I hung out in other communities where they spoke other languages, where Spanish was only moderately useful. You know, I went months at a time without speaking English to anyone because I was, you know, living in these villages and stuff. And that was really powerful experiences. And I think I don't think I would have been able to have the results that I've had in strength and conditioning. I probably wouldn't have even got the job that I got when I came back. Like after basically six years on the road, I applied for a head of head of a program, head of strength and conditioning role. And I've never, I'd never been head of a program and it was in France with a rugby team in France. And, uh, I think I got the job largely on the basis of all that experience that I'd had, you know, that, and I don't know, it was a bit of a crazy appointment from that coach because, I'd been bouncing from kind of project to project and every time things things got rough on the road, like I just moved on. I was there somewhere for three months and then somewhere else for six months. And, you know, some of it was kind of political projects and, and human, de- you know, human development kind of things and, and you know, those kinds of uh, community-based programs. And then other times I was teaching English. and But every time it got kind of rough or I just didn't know what I was doing, I would, I would go somewhere else and try something else. And I'd, I'd kind of lost belief in my ability to stick with anything because I just kept doing that for for like six years and then um, I got this role and it was like well we want you to sign a two-year contract and I'm like well I haven't been anywhere for two years for a long time (laughs) you know like how's that going to go down I didn't know if I just you know last half the preseason and then be you know take off pack my bag and head back to Latin America you know like I really didn't know if I was going to be able to, to to handle the environment and stick it out you know, so I guess that was a good thing. Like when you're not sure if you can handle it and there's a, there's another challenge there, like that's probably a good sign that, you know, that's what you need to do. And I'd had some real pain on the road. Like it's tough, like the social isolation and, and that sort of thing. And, um, I got involved in some stuff that was pretty heavy and, you know, um, yeah, there was, there was some really, really tense sort of situations and things that came up and I, I basically decided like the political, sort of revolution side things was probably not going to be how I was going to help the world. And that was what I was trying to figure out. Like, what am I going to do in the world? Like what, what impact can I have? And at some point it was like, this is a kill or be killed environment. I either stay in this and do that or, you know, go back to something that's around health and performance and that sort of thing. But I I did leave, you know, that political environment or that, you know, that environment that I'd been in on the road to, to come back to movement. But, I didn't leave all that stuff behind. I haven't left all that stuff behind. Like that's still, it's still clear and present. All the things that I saw, you know, all the, all the kids with, with no shoes and, and, you know, no, no families and things because of the political situations that had been in their countries and the nature of the global economic system at the moment and stuff like, you know, I felt the pain of that and it's still always been in the picture. And I guess that's probably why I didn't settle back in strength and conditioning. You know, I had four years, full time and then I was like yeah I need to I need to go back to the other side a little bit more <laughs> you know so that's um yeah that's what I've been doing the last the last sort of 5 years yeah your your experience as a world traveler huge respect for that man i think some of us live in our own bubble for our whole lives and and never get outside of it and so one of the with having all that though and and taking these breaks and and bringing it all back 
Um, how has that changed your philosophy on how to train train a human being <laughs> from a a strength a physical standpoint? Yeah, I mean, you can't. Yeah, all your experiences form you, right? So, like, I often want to understand if I'm going to employ a coach or if I'm speaking to someone about where they're headed. Like, I want to know how many brothers and sisters they have. Like, if you're the first child, that's a different experience to if you're the second child or you're the third child. And, you know, all those kinds of things, like, they influence who you're going to be as a, as a coach. Like, and I think all that, the travel, like, when I know someone's traveled a lot or I knew that, know they grew up in a multicultural, you know, upbringing, they, if they speak two languages or those kinds of things, like, I know that those people are going to be different as coaches to those that have had a kind of, mono upbringing like in 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 one culture and um those sorts of things so like the human side is is definitely relevant but even zooming out from that like what is an what does an organism need to thrive like you know that a plant or a tree you know can can either be strong or it can be weak and and what are the factors that are going to influence that i I think as in strength and conditioning like it's so easy to get lost in under the electron microscope that you forget what you're looking at, you know, you're looking at a living organism and a living organism has certain basic requirements even beyond like thinking of someone as a human is often too zoomed in. Like think about the requirements of a plant and, and, and you might start to actually be able to get better results with people. Like, you know, that a plant needs light, but how many strength and conditioning coaches consider light as a factor in their programs, you know, and it's becoming clearer that we need light. We need natural light. Like fluorescent light is doing damage to, to our health. Red light exposure is emerging as a technique because we're just not getting exposed to, you know, full spectrum of light. Too much blue light is having a massive negative impact on, on hormones and stress and those sorts of things. So like zooming out and dealing with things on that basic level, soil, soil for us is what's in the gut you know but you know for a plant soil is so important but then people want to say well it's just about macros well is it just about macros for a plant like can you just put anything around a plant and it's going to be fine like no they need a specific soil set like anyone who understands plants deeply and wants to make nice plants flower they have a very specific strategy around compost and soil composition and sand and all these sorts of things so it's it sounds like it's way out there as far as strength and conditioning goes but it's a living organism that you're dealing with. Like those basics of temperature, light, water, you know, movement, they're, they're huge. And then humans, we have that next layer of, we need meaning in our lives, you know, and we need, we need social support. We need to be part of a, a tribe. No one's a loner. People say they're a loner. I like time alone as well, but I'm, you know, everybody needs to feel like they're an important part of a social system and that feeling of social isolation and, and not being a valuable member of a community that's going to massively negatively impact your performance. If you think that being a professional athlete has no bigger purpose and no, no social, you know, whatever, you're not going to train the same as if you feel like this is my vehicle for social change. Like this is how I impact the world. Like this is how I, you know, for Australians, indigenous culture in Australia, I don't know if you know anything about Australian indigenous culture, but the difference in life expectancy between white Australians or, you know, non-indigenous australians and indigenous australians is the biggest difference of anywhere in the world so these people are expected to live to like 50 so the 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 health outcomes for indigenous australians are extremely poor so some indigenous australians like they're 
they also tend to be phenomenal athletes. Like they have some some amazing genetics, and it's relatively recently that they've gone into this captivity environment that we live in in the Western world. You know, where we've created all these boxes and things to live in, basically like our own little zoo that we live in. It's relatively recent that they've gone into this zoo, so they have more genetic momentum and they have, you know, the power of their ancestors. If you understand like animal husbandry, like there's there's genetic momentum, so you don't pick the runt of the litter to be the sire of your next racehorse or if you're breeding dogs and stuff like they understand genetic momentum and generation to generation matters so if you look at it from that perspective these indigenous athletes have they have a you know more momentum with that sort of thing but some of them can find meaning of like they really want to give hope to to the kids where they grew up because there's you know pretty rough you know third world type living conditions um and a tough economic system to come into for a lot of those kids. So if they can derive a bit more of that meaning, then there's a whole new world of athletic development awaiting them, you know? And so it sounds like I'm not answering your question, but I, I am answering your question. Like this is, this is where strength and conditioning needs to start. Like the level of a living organism, the level of human psychology and human psyche. And I think the best coaches are doing this, um, whether they outsource some of the stuff around, you know, blood testing and biohacking type stuff or, or uh, you know, they, the, the athlete psychology and that sort of thing. Like guys like Brett Bartholomew, like I saw – I haven't been massively into the, the Exos stuff and whatever, but I saw his post about being anorexic as a kid. I was like, fuck, now it makes sense. Like this guy has been through some serious pain and he's going he's gonna to get it with athletes on a level that most coaches can't get with them on, you know, and that's – part of the reason why he's been one of the most impactful guys i guess in in the strength and conditioning space so yeah on a that big picture stuff is i guess something that excites me and i feel as though if you just get that stuff right then strength and conditioning is freaking easy <laughs> if you help it to be like a, a basic thriving organism that has the neurotransmitters working that has energy that has you know just doing what a, an, an organism is meant to do doing what a human's meant to do and then they actually derive meaning from their practice then pretty much any practice is going to like – you can do a lot of different things with that sort of person and, and they're going to be pretty damn good because they're, they're just – you know, they're fired up, they're driven, they're balanced um, on a basic level. But then, yeah, I do love the zoomed in stuff as well. Like it's not that I – you know, that I don't love the nuts and bolts of lifting weights and building skills. And so if we get to that level, um, you know, the philosophy is like uh, mobility, skill, force – endurance so on each of those levels how's the athlete going and then and building them up so what positions can they get into range of motion is is a huge huge thing there's lots of different ways to look at it but from my experience like most athletes don't have the range of motion that they need to have you know top speed and acceleration you know to get those things right they've, they've got heavy legs because they're just so so tight especially in you know rugby is the field that i've primarily worked in and then you know guys will overly specialize in their role so if you're a 110 kilo you know two 230 240 pound type guy and you're playing rugby league then often their role as a kid because they were always the big kid is just like catch the ball and just go and run over blokes but in the sport of rugby in rugby league you can you can have a lot more to your game like you can everyone can pass the ball so everyone is kind of the quarterback and everyone can can sort of have footwork and, and play different roles. So giving them a bit more of a multi-sport athlete training environment, like helping them to build 
some some other skills, whether it's juggling, whether it's learning a back somersault, whether it's you know doing a handstand every couple of weeks, any of those sorts of things, they kind of get the guy thinking, well, like I can I can actually learn new shit here. So why don't I do this with my game as well? Like why don't I add a left foot step as well as a right foot step to my game? Or why don't I, you know, work on being able to pass the ball over five meters rather than just passing the ball over three meters? You know, so I because I had that background of my family being heavily involved in rugby league coaching, like I had a bit of more of an opportunity to blend strength and conditioning, but then also get out on the field. Like I was the speed coach as well, but I I would do sports specific speed and not in, yeah, not in a funky sense, but actually do the movements that are in the game and get them better at those movements. So they knew how to evade the, the player in front of them or defend the player in front of them who was using footwork and like really trying to get that blend of, you know, putting their their physical traits into their performance, um, but then continue to expand their performance. You know, like that was that's what I believe in, and that's you know that's what I've seen work. You know, like the the teams that I worked with had good results, and you know the coaches that I've worked with have had some some good results as well. So I'm always trying to expand and refine the philosophy. You know, there's yeah, I mean, there's you got to you got to go by the results basically. So um, yeah, that's I've a, had some good results and got to keep going further. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, no, that was that was a lot in one in one shot, man. I mean, that was like that could, a whole book. That could have been like three books uh, that you just said there <laughs> in an awesome way. I, I love it. I actually, I want to come back to what you were saying before with. Uh, um, you know, I, 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 cause I have been hung up on, you know, how do you make a, like, like just be a better human, right. Is, is uh, something that Corey Schlesinger has said that stuck with me that I really liked. Um, but I like yep. that you zoom that out even more to, uh, just in, even an organism in general and talking about just things like, like I think about as if an athlete is a plant, right. And you just take them through the normal day and everything they get. Like that wouldn't be very, that wouldn't yield a very healthy plant, you know, like, um, like with, with, like you said, all like the artificial light and those types of things. And I know that, you know, it's pretty well known that if you want to be a good sprinter or well, where are the best sprinters in the United States here? Uh, well, they're in Florida, Texas, and California with the three like hottest, like really hot States, um, or Correct. where there's just a good temperature and sprint culture too. It's like, that's if, why yeah, <laughs> it's, it's people just, from that skin color. You know, the you know, if they're people with darker skin, but you know, the, the sun is a big part of that. Like getting that getting that light exposure and it's a higher intensity light and you train with your shirt off more often and yeah, it's no it's no mistake that those things are happening. Like even just tolerance to training volume as well is gonna go up if you're getting light exposure right, you know. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's such a it, it's such even thing. And, and Texas, the state of Texas here in the United States, which I don't I'm not sure what the I think the population's like maybe 30 million i'm not sure compared to you know the 300 and some million that live in the yep. the rest of the country but if you look at like the top this always blows me away if i look at like the top uh four by 200 marks of of uh, in track and field for high school texas almost always ha- has like all 10 like <laughs> all 10 are in that <laughs> it's just like the cu- and the culture of it just blows me away and i've and i've even heard people talk about even in like track and field like um, as opposed to distance, like a good, like the best uh, sprint coaches are usually it's, you have to have an incredible culture to be a, have a good sprint, like power program. Whereas distance running is a little bit more of an individual sport. It's still important, but it's not as important as like, or but the Bulgarian weightlifters, you know, you throw them all in this training hall and let's, you know, we hate the Russians and, and let's throw down. And, and I, I'm just glad you mentioned that because 
you as you were talking, I was thinking about there was a little um there was a little screenshot that I had on my desktop for a really long time. I'm not sure if it's still on there. I don't want to check right now because I don't want to mess my my. I got my screens in front of me and they're all good. But like it was uh, Logan Christopher who's been a uh, guest on this show before, um, and I read this like a year ago and I had it on my desktop forever. And I hope to actually get Logan back to chat about it. Um, and, and he has an awesome book called like it's like a, on, on nature and the natural way of things. Uh, but it was basically like this, his pyramid of strength. And Logan is a, a an amateur strongman. And if you look at his Instagram, he's always like doing crazy stuff with like old school strength lifts, like bent presses and, and Turkish get-ups with barbells and various things. But it, he had a pyramid and it was, he had the different layers. And what was the foundation of your strength? And the foundation for him was psychology, like your mindset. Um, that was, that's the base. That That's more important. That comes before anything else. And uh, he also does a lot of hypnosis stuff, and 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 I think rightly so. And it's like, I, if I've learned anything through being a coach, through being a coach, like sometimes I felt like with particular athletes, like I could have administered that strength program better with fine tuning their sets and reps, and maybe they went too hard some days, maybe you know. But the the result in their head all along, they knew exactly what they wanted, and the culture was going to push them there, you know, like. Uh, and on my last talk with Max Ada too, he was talking about like Adam Nelson, shot putter. I think former American record holder just doing like these dumb workouts, like 10 sets of 10 squat bench, everything in the and terrible for his physiology, but he still did awesome. You know, like uh, anyways, so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that it, so much of this field is important to zoom out to the appropriate level to see everything first before you zoom in. Cause always you just get stuck. Like, and I'm sure you know that very well from all your travels and everything. You, you can't separate psychology from physiology so it's yeah you know yourself like if you, you break up with a, a girlfriend or something you know when you're when you're a kid and like you feel your strength is just gone and you're drained and you know even when people get sick when the immune system dies like it's often around stress you know someone someone dies in the family or you know something's going on and then someone you know they get they get sick and it's you know yeah you can't separate the two whether whether psychology is the foundation of the pyramid or is it really hard to have good psychology if you if you don't have the right fats coming into the body if you put someone you know if you put someone in solitary confinement but you give them self-development stuff to listen to and you give them a horrendous diet and they're in the dark all day you know i guess the psychology is going to keep them alive like if you listen to stuff like man's search for meaning mm-hmm. and some of the you know the most horrendous things that people have been through yeah, psychology maybe is is the primary, but then, you know, it's very very hard to keep your shit together in that environment. Versus, if you're getting that optimal, you know, physiological environment, then how easy it is is it to be in that positive psychological headspace, you know? And I probably feel like, and most guys now, if I'm honest, like you know, I work with mentoring guys, and the percentage of guys that have like a, a suicide or attempted suicide or thought a lot about suicide kind of story. Like, cause we tell our stories, like it's part of the thing that we do. And so many people have that, you know, so many people have that in their, in their thing. And it's like, I think a lot of my challenge with, with my brain and with, you know, do I want to do this life thing was because I wasn't getting my diet right. Like, because I wasn't, I didn't understand these foundations and fundamentals and I was spending too much time in front of screens and those sorts of things. But I was like going low fat to try to be an athlete because athletes don't eat fat. You know, that was what I learned from the sports nutritionists (laughs) and I was punching a bunch of sugar and stuff because that's what, you know, that's what you need to do to have energy. And then, 
I was all messed up, you know, like I was, I was messed up as a kid. And then I was, you know, drinking a lot because obviously that's what you have to do to be cool. And, you know, I didn't feel comfortable being around girls unless I was drunk. So, you know, obviously you're, you know, you want to explore your sexuality in your, in your late teens and early twenties and that sort of thing. So like all that stuff was going on and, you know, it made life really hard. And if you think about working with junior athletes, like that's the context that they're living in. So if they're getting all that stuff wrong, you could have the smartest sets and reps and, you know, periodize everything to a T. You're not going to win. Like you're not going to, you're not going to, you're not, you're not serving that athlete even, you know, like, so if you can create culturally create an environment where you're cool, like everyone has fun, everyone's respected, everyone plays their role. And, you know, they don't, you know, if you can have that feeling amongst your group and, and, and a culture where there's not so much self-harm, you know, not so so much drug and alcohol abuse and anti-inflammatory abuse and sleepers and all of that stuff, you know, not just relying on antibiotics if you get sick and, you know, all of those things can play a huge role in keeping the psychology on track as well, you know. And so it's like chicken or the egg, you have to deal with it all. And that's why, some, you know, some people feel as though, you know, some people criticize me for, you know, going outside of the scope, but if you don't deal with it, who is like, you can't just say, well, some, you know, let's outsource this. Like we have this mentality in the 21st century, like everyone, you have to be a specialist in something to deal with it. But if no one else is going to deal with it, then, you know, you need to deal with it. You know, like if you can build a team and you feel like that person's nailing that role, then cool. But it's, it's also extremely problematic in modern strength and conditioning to have someone for everything. You know, you have a speed coach and a nutritionist and a strength coach and a, you know, physiotherapist and a rehab specialist and a kicking coach and a tackling coach. And, a, and so at, in the, in the end, there's just one athlete. Like this is a concept that the, the head coach that I've worked most with named Trent, Trent Robinson, he's a great coach. And, uh, you know, there's the only coach that I, that I worked with over those four years. But he's like, there's one athlete here. So we, we need to deal with that one athlete. Like, all you guys want to do your thing with this person. But in the end, it's, it's one person that has to integrate everything that we're giving that person, you know. So if everyone's fighting for their piece of impact, you know, then that that, that athlete's being pulled from all over the place. You know, it's, it's one athlete in the middle of this thing and they have to make sense of all of this stimulus, you know, plus what's going on in their personal life. So that, you know, having a lot of coaches can be – harder in a sense than you know if you if you just yeah less less team members is probably better i imagine you you know you you probably dealt with both sides of that over there as well like sometimes you're probably the main man other times there's probably heaps of people trying to run things is there yeah i was you were talking i was kind of just had this philosophical thought in my own head like it is i it's like how does does things tend to become a lot more depersonalized the more coaches and specialists there are in the whole high performance you know um umbrella i guess you could say like you know high you know in this high performance model where it's like there's a coach for this and this and this and this um does that would that create a tendency towards the depersonalization um and and you think about like well i just know this like i i know back when i was only a track coach um at a smaller uh division three school where you know i was i was the guy for everything like i was this i was the track coach i was the strength coach you know i was i we didn't have a nutritionist Nutrition like yeah, and, yeah yeah and i i was 26 well, i didn't know shit and so much and a lot of stuff like i mean especially the culture and, and nutrition and that base layer i didn't know any of that stuff i've been catching up on all that the last 10 years but like um but at the same time though i felt like it is much easier you definitely lose 
what is it? They say it's about like government or any any organization, any entity, that the more people there are in it, the more employees you have, that you will fundamentally lose efficiency. Like large government, you know, we complain about the government. Of course, uh, going off track, but it's all related, right? Like so. Um, same so, concept. Yeah. yeah, it's the same concept. You, you just, you're just going to come back to it. And so I do think that, I mean, and, you know, for a lot of us, we don't, we don't have a choice. We're just in the role we are. But it does, the, the bottom line is, what as you were talking, I think about, uh, like, and I, this is, I think, a big reason that, you know, I was a track coach. I'm in a strength, the strength and conditioning industry, but it's like, this is a service industry in the sense of like, <laughs> it's like you, if your team wins, if it's like basketball, like, you know, and your team won the national championship, like the strength coach isn't the first person like pointing the fingers at himself, like, oh, look at me, you know, like I look at me, I'll swole, I got these guys' arms or something and how in shape they are that, no, like it's like, it, you have an impact, no doubt, but this is a service industry uh at its heart but but as you're speaking about it's like that service factor is a crucial aspect in performance because how you serve an athlete it's like you if you could serve an athlete in those roles i think that uh whatever your scope is you know whatever it fits within the the context of what you are can do and but and it was funny too and even reading like conscious coaching you know it's just like i I read about some of these coaches like like in the high school sector who are just like having just tremendous impacts personally on these athletes i'm like shoot man like these guys are killing it like this is like this is almost the epitome of that like that relationship that these guys just talking about how profound a relationship these uh sports performance strength coaches have with their athletes and i'm like man you guys are doing a really good job uh, so yeah, long-winded, but I, I do think that it's a uh, it's it's really cool to take that zoom out, and then it's like not only yes, this is a service industry, but that service is going to also help with performance at the end of the day. It, it will come back around to you. It's not just like design the most killer training program. Look at how killer my training program was, <laughs> and how these guys did. There's a lot more to it than that. Yeah. So yeah, good stuff. Uh, <laughs> no, that's that's cool. Um, Shoot, I'm like, I'm like, where, where were we on these questions here? Um, but no, okay, so yeah, I, I think that that uh, obviously that being like the base layer. I, but I, I appreciate Keegan how you just get right to it, man. Like you're just like bam, straight shooter, and uh, we're, we're like a lot of times it's like you kind of there's like a lot of uh, I don't know you say like like small talk and and like people like I love how you get right at the heart like of of um, these issues and things and just shows that. I think you've you've clearly spent a lot of time having going through the impact of all this. Try my best, and yeah, I've definitely been thinking about this stuff for a long time. Thinking about how movement fits into context of society, and yeah, the, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, a <laughs> lot of back and forward going on of how how this stuff can work and how it can make an impact on the world, and and yeah, you have to ultimately you have to be really good at the craft and the, and the fundamentals of helping athletes to win otherwise it doesn't matter about you know wanting to to ha- help the world and help things to be better like a lot of people young guys that i speak to especially you know they they want to they want to make an impact on the world like they want to make a difference they want to lead people they want to help people feel better in themselves and, and be healthier and all those sorts of things but if they haven't developed the tools if you don't have those specifics of details and systems and and things that are going to get that result then you don't get to play the game at a significant level you know like you you work with someone who lives in your neighborhood who wants that result but if you can't help them to do that then you don't get to keep working with with them and they don't refer other people to you like if you want to change the world like you got to you got to have some stuff that you're really good at you know so that's i guess why 
I've gone so hard with juggling and teaching myself, you know, weightlifting and teaching myself to do back somersaults and all this stuff because they're like at least symbols of well, this guy, this guy gives a shit to an extent. He might be, he might be putting energy in the wrong direction or it might be the right direction, but like he's definitely having a go at something here. So, you know, like I'll, I'll do a seven day fast or, you know, eat meat only for months at a time or whatever it is to try and be who I want to be, you know, like that's, opening up the possibility of going to another level and even if that's not going to be the tool for the person who's thinking about you know working with me or or whatever they can at least see well that this guy's having a go this guy's serious and you know that's probably you know part of the reason why i've been able to have some impact you know on some some coaches here in australia and you know a few around the world and i feel like i'm always the biggest limiting factor on the people that i work with like if honestly like i feel like if i can jump higher if i'm a little bit leaner if i'm a little bit stronger then everyone who i work with will get pulled in that direction as well like by by osmosis by culture so you know it's kind of a lot of pressure to put on yourself and and i do put that pressure on a lot of people that i work with and some sometimes they don't like it but i guess it's it's pressure but it's also opportunity you know like what else are you going to do like I say, you know, the time time's going to pass. Like, what are you going to have to show for it? Like, are you building something in your life that you didn't have before that you have now? You know, like, and it, I think it's such a shame for days to be passing where you don't really know what you're building, you know, and only building the thing that you're comfortable with. Like, so, you know, maybe for you, it's, you know, jumping and those kind of like fundamental athletes. If that was the only thing you're developing, then you're not really testing your comfort zone. You're not really you know, you're not going to be fundamentally different in a few years by refining the things that you're good at. You do have to play your strengths and get better at those things, like double down on your strengths. And, you know, Charlie Francis has a, has a saying about that, right? Like continue to build your strengths. I don't know what the words are. Do you know what the one, the one is? But uh, yeah, I, I, I think I know what you're saying, but uh, I, yeah, I don't remember the exact uh, thing that he said particularly right now. <laughs> yeah. But then on the other side, like I really believe in doing something that you didn't used to do and like, for example, starting a podcast, you know, as a guy who's a strength and conditioning coach, like you've you've gone outside your comfort zone with that. And I know so many people really love your podcast and they respect your podcast. And I told some people that I'm coming on this and like, wow, like he's had this guy on and this guy on. You know, I listen to your podcast and, you know, listen to you speak to Dan John and, you know, like some of these guys that, you know, Christian Thibodeau, like these guys are heroes for me. Like I was reading them when I'm in my early 20s, like I'd never written a blog, I'd never presented an event, I'd, you know, I'm belly bench pressing you know 220 pounds and and like that's when i was listening to these guys and, and reading their books and now you know it's cool to to be on this podcast but it's only because you decided you know you'll you'll go out of your out of your comfort zone and and sort of what if what if you could like what if it works and you know that's why I think if I could get someone to five ball juggle, I can, you know, probably <laughs> get them to do just about anything. If I can get them to do a 60 second handstand, like does 60 second handstand improve your, your, you know, your ability to do anything like to, to be a better athlete, like directly? No, but the growth mindset and the persistence that goes with that and the self doubt and the challenges and the little niggling injuries and things like complete adding something completely new to your repertoire as an adult, something so many adults don't do like the being a lifelong learner is is such a valuable thing like almost regardless of the skill now i do believe all the skills that i choose are ones that i believe have a deep impact whether it's you know learning memorizing quotes or you know memorizing a deck of cards or you know playing the guitar you know picking up a learning a musical instrument 
you know, I think they all have great other overlap, but even if they didn't, like that's something that we need to do. And I, it, it does disappoint me about strength and conditioning sometimes when people want to beat down and like just hold the party line, like research-based, evidence-based. And it's like all that's like most of that stuff is partly wrong. Like we don't know which part it is, but for sure in 10, 20 years, you guys are going to be saying like, oh, we completely missed the point on half of this stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And that's that's what I feel is – is is such a valuable thing. It's like to continue to to go outside of, you know, what the what the norm is, and just see what happens when you're out there. You know, it's a yeah, no, I, it's I, a fundamental <laughs> fundamental philosophy. No, a lot of truth there, man. I'm I, I, and I love the direction this conversation is headed because I well, here's some stuff like I don't. If people like watch my Instagram, they just see me doing like some sprints and plyos and stuff, and maybe once in a blue moon a little lifting because <laughs> I I do lift, uh, but um. I think what people don't see, what I don't post, like I, props to you for posting it, but like the skill stuff, because I actually do, I, I do skill work. Like when I was in high school, I did break, I just wanted to learn how to break dance. So I'm trying to do like getting the yeah, cardboard cool. out in my back, backyard. I'm trying to do flares and I'm trying to do, and I learned to do windmills and spin on my head. And my, my mom hated it when I spun on my head. She's like, you break your neck. And, but I'll tell you what, like I, I've had this story, like I, the highest I jumped off one foot in high school and then for a long time, probably until I was a seven foot high jumper, three years later was off of a breakdancing stint and i think now with david wex i'd always be coiling like working that coiling engine but it wasn't i it just had i had to get outside of what i was doing a little bit and yes i know like the bonner chuck specificity period i get that absolutely but i'm the more i learn about just i guess you'd call it gpp i think that we as humans fundamentally are capable of a lot more than we think we are and i just see gpp as a series of unlocking those things but like even the other day in the weight room i have you know, an intern, I, I'm watching like, I was watching like um, Clarence Kennedy, who's pretty well known on Instagram. And I hadn't even seen the guy for yep. like seven or eight years. Like I just remember seven or eight years as this really strong kid from Ireland. And he's like, I don't know, clean yep. jerking like 380 and he's like 17 or I don't know what. And now all of a sudden I, I see him and I'm like, holy cow, that guy's gotten a lot bigger and a lot stronger. And he can, tri- his tricking ability is unbelievable. I'm like, watch yep. this guy clean 500 and then do like this crazy kickflip. And then everyone knows Juju Mufu. And I'm like, I want to learn how to trick. That looks fun. Like, you know, and, and, yep. and, but I would have it no other way. You know, I mean, I like, I like still trying to overhaul and refine jumping. And I've had to because I like, I had Achilles problems that started in my mid to late 20s. And like, I couldn't just do the same thing over and over again because I couldn't, uh, my, my Achilles wouldn't. T- uh, so I had to like overhaul all everything I was doing and figure it out again from the ground up. And, and, but that's fun. But, you know, tricking and breakdancing is fun too. Like, it's all, it's all getting out of your comfort zone so you can come back around and see things a little bit differently the next time. And yeah, yeah. We're, we're all yeah. so much better for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so, so valuable what you're saying there. Like specificity is definitely a thing and you need to do yes. 10,000 hours. You need to just refine and refine and refine and just do so much of whatever you want to be really good at. If you, if it's, you know, specifically if you want to compete in a sport but on the other side of the equation, if you lose your ability to be a human, if you lose your ability to move in multiple directions, you become fragile mm-hmm. and your peak will, will be lower. You know, and this is something that a lot of people have, have expressed. But you know, I it does make sense that you're breakdancing, you know, when you were breakdancing a lot and you had this huge foundation of athletic stuff and just moving your body really quickly and you would have had amazing spatial awareness and control of, you know, every limb and every, you know. That, those sorts of things and you know constant low level plyometrics and your balance just would have been amazing it, it makes sense that that's a nice little supplement to to your jumping would you now 
how heavily would you be criticized if you introduce breakdancing into your jumping program? You know what I mean? Like it's, 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 yeah, you laugh. Like it's ridiculous. Like if Joseph Coyne did that when he was working with the Chinese, you know, long jumpers, you know, would he, would they have, you know, kicked him out of the country? Probably. But would they have jumped, you know, 10, five, 10 centimeters further? Would they have been slightly more engaged? Would they, you know, would there, would there have been some other benefit there from going slightly outside the box or, you know, is it all about just staying a hundred percent on that specificity? I, I don't believe it is. Like, I don't think you can get to the peak of, you know, physical performance by overly specifying, like by, by just staying very, very much within what you're, what you're already trying to do. And you see this example over and over again. Like I love Edelman's story. I'm not really an NFL fan, but I, I got into, I read Edelman's book and hearing his story, like how hard he's had to fight, you know, literally fighting his teammates and all that sort of stuff, but like doing heaps and heaps of extra hand-eye coordination things like that just shows like, yeah, this guy, this guy gets it that if you can catch 500 balls or 5,000 balls a day that are little balls that are coming off a wall, then when you've got that big ball coming at you and you only get to practice, how many catches do you get in practice of an NFL? Yeah. You know, he's running routes or whatever, like maybe he gets 20 balls, 50 balls, 100 balls, whatever he gets. He's not getting 5,000 balls in a session, mm -hmm. no matter what, where you can you can juggle or you can throw balls against the wall, or you can do these things and you can get 5,000 balls in a, in a session. You know what I mean? Like who's going to be the better athlete? Like the guy who gets 50 balls a day or the guy who gets 5,000 balls a day? Like, it's it's pretty simple, but but I don't think many people are looking at it from this perspective. And I, you know, I I like that um, some people are, and yeah, it's great that you're you know you're uh, re-exploring some of those things and looking at it from a from a different perspective. And yeah, the the stupider you feel about it, the more you should probably do it. You know, like I, <laughs> yeah, I definitely I felt uncomfortable about it to start with. You know what I mean? Like, and it's like social media kind of homogenizes you as well. Like or you know, your perception, like you, you probably find if you posted some of your breakdancing stuff, maybe you should do this, but if you posted some maybe of that should, stuff, yeah. like you <laughs> probably actually light up, you know, like people would probably be all over it. Just like, yeah, cool. Go for it, coach, you know? Um, but yeah, like trying to sort of be the same person over and over again, like, and I get criticized for it as well. It's like, well, before you were like, you're doing vegan type stuff and you were fasting and you, you know, you're vegetarian and you're talking about all this stuff and, and now you're doing carnivore diet. Like, don't do that. You know, like people want to put you in a box and just leave you there. But it's like, well, no, I'm going to, you know, if I'm a performance guy or if I'm someone who's trying to optimize the human experience, then I need to, I need to know what that's like. Like, does that stuff work or how do you feel when you do that? And it's kind of answering the same question for me. It's on the same philosophy, but to other people, it's like, well, you were doing heaps of weightlifting and now you're doing heaps of gymnastics. Like, why have you turned your back on what you believe in? It's like, no, I believe in, I believe in movement. I believe in experimentation. I believe in being physical. It's the same game. It just, it looks different to you. It looks like I'm changing teams and changing alliances and you can't put me in that box that I used to be in. But you know, that's, it's not, you know, we shouldn't stay in those boxes. And we, we touched on Joe Rogan, you know, chatting before the podcast, but like, I think that's one of the reasons he's so likable is that like he drinks, but he's into human optimization. He's a comedian, but he has some of the most important, serious political conversations that, that can be had, you know, um, he, you know, he's, he's a fighter and he commentates on the fighting, but then he has this depth of like care and love for humanity. Like there's all these, like he's playing at the extremes. He's going in all sorts of different directions with his life, like hunting as well, you know, and, but he, he, he because he's got all these different facets to himself and he's not, he's not trying to just be this, you know, be the whatever guy, like people are trying to be this niche thing and they just stop being a human. And then 
they lose their relatability and that's that's not good for anything it's not good for branding it's not good for like it's not good for humanity it's not good for a being to be like yeah i'm going to be the the one thing guy like i'm going to be the food guy and then you just forget about everything else that's in your life like i don't think that's you can't live your best life that way you know like and that's the same with athletes like oh this is just an athlete i'm an athlete well no you're a human like what's your philosophy you know what do you understand about stoicism and what do you understand about you know do you live for the day like or have you know think about those things and by the time you get a conclusion you'll be a better athlete because you've got a better foundation to go at things from you know yeah it's it's what you were just saying and what we're talking about i this is kind of like i mean and if you look at this you could look at a strength coach as a gpp coach i've heard that term before and and i will say this too like i the break like well uh, first i'll start with this is is carmen pata guest a, a little while ago was just talking about how important it was for confidence in athletes and you know he, he him and some other people have like the pr bell in the weight room which is always for i think it's usually for like a lift but i'm like well what if the pr bell was for learning a new movement skill you know like and and who's to i i just think about as long as i've been in this now you know i've been training since i was basically 10 or 11 and i'm 35 now and to me I, my, my gains are lit when I learn something new and I'm in flow. Like it's those two things. And I'm not saying like being in the break dancing, like I'm not going to break dance my way to like a world record. You know, it, it will help ignite something new in the system. Ultimately training the core train needs to be the specific things you need to do in your 10,000 hours. Yes. But like, um, I was, I was, uh, training with Mike Salemi, who's going to be on this show here or his, his episode will be coming out here soon. And he, uh, you know, he, he's got an awesome flow-based, breathing-based way of working out with just the most simple equipment, but he makes it so it's constantly, re- energy is constantly revolving and being uh, recycled. And you, there is an element where you have to learn it and keep up with it, but it's like just that learning process and being en- engaging your body in a, in a new way and a way that maybe you didn't realize you could move. And, and it's just like you're reignited with all this energy. And it's, it's almost like the, you know, the core of your sport's always going to be the core of your sport and you have to get that in. But it's, it, as long as we're doing GPP, like the ability to learn and get new capacities, uh, I just think is, is crucial. And I, I learned more about that the longer I've been in this field. So, um, I, I just, I liked what you mentioned as about like, if you can do this skill, you know, it, that giving you confidence as well as, I think we just tend to peg it as, oh, you lifted, you put a 10 pound clean PR. Oh, Cool. You know, but like maybe for some people, maybe they're what gives them more confidence is a, a learning a new movement skill or something they didn't think they could do or like, you know, hold a handstand for X amount of time. Or uh, I don't think it has to be limited to just a, a barbell lift. I think it's important. I think that's good if an athlete can hit a barbell lift and get confidence from it, no doubt. But I think it's just it's more than just that. A lot of people reject it on face value. Like, I don't want to learn a handstand. I don't want to juggle. I don't want to whatever. This isn't relevant to my my journey. But I'm yet to see someone improve in that, have a win and and not have a smile on their face or not have mm-hmm. some some belief that comes out of it. Like it's, it's I think it's very innate that when we learn something new, when a new circuit kind of clicks in place, mm-hmm. like that's joy, you know. Yes. And even when you nail a podcast, like when you finish a podcast with someone and you feel like yeah that went well, like there's a buzz that comes out of that. Like humans are we're designed to to learn new things. Like we have this freaking massive brain just repeating the same thing over and over again. Like there's a joy in repeating the same thing over and over again, but then there's also a joy in like, oh, that was a novel experience. Like that, you know, that that lit me up. I was very engaged there. And yeah, people need that experience, like athletes or non-athletes. You know, I work mm-hmm. with a lot of commercial facilities and sometimes having a 150 kilo, you know, 330 pound person come in, if you can start teaching them handstands, 
you may be the first coach that actually gets to them. You know, like chances are they've probably already tried a bunch of different diets. They've tried getting on the treadmill. They've tried everything that is normal to lose weight. And people tell them, you know, eat less, move more. And if they've come, you know, by the time they come to you, they've probably tried a bunch of that stuff. If you can get them excited about, hey, like if you listen to me, if we work together on this, within 12 months, you'll be doing a handstand. Like that might be the ticket where they just go, yeah, like I'm I'm going on a whole different, like I'm buying into this, you know? And then, okay, what do I need to eat to, to, to get that handstand, <laughs> all right? Or, or, you know, how do I need to train? Or when do I need to get to bed if I'm going to hit that handstand? Like igniting that other kind of dream and and you, we've got to pursue a goal. Like humans are goal-seeking organisms. If we don't have a goal, then then we're not going to be happy. We're not going to be healthy. And yes, sometimes that's, that need, it needs to be it needs to be novel and and that can really be the catalyst for a body you know body composition transformation as much as it doesn't handstands aren't a great body transformation tool but if they get you to change your, your mindset and get you engaged with well yeah I need to be you know I need to lose half of my body weight to be able to do this you know then then that's the that's the ticket you know what I mean so yeah there's that novel approach but I mean we should probably talk a little bit about the specific side as well because people you know you have to do that too right so yeah 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 i keep i keep getting back to that too it's like you can't juggle your way to like winning you know being an olympic champion of the tour of your dash like for sure but i totally like i as you were talking though too like i i mean yes like you know we we have the and i'm a firm believer in that period the boundary chuck pyramid the more you know even just the last podcast today with max ada just talking about how even taking squats too far if your competition is the clean and jerk because you need to really refine the the technical elements of what you're doing that's so critical um but i i do like and i'm starting to do this myself it's like it's like you give athletes weights and they get a lot of gains from all the benefits that come the you got the intermuscular coordination the nervous system uh increased muscle mass confidence you know all those things but at some point, those gains, that that curve of gains is going to start to peter out. But then it's like, okay, you could either try to painstakingly put 30 more pounds on a lift when lifting isn't your sport, or you could learn a new skill that's body weight anyways, right? Like, and a lot of my kids, like, um, you know, I have like, for some of my teams, I have like three lifting groups. I have like an endurance, like, you know, if you're an endurance swimmer or something, I have a high rep group, a middle of the road group and a sprinter group. And some of my kids in the um, the endurance group who I have there for a reason, they want to be in like the middle group that has heavier weights and more stuff. And I'm like, okay, you need to do X amount of shoulder taps before I'm going to let you in that group. You know, like, like I basically like 20 more pounds in your squat. Isn't the point of you being better at your sport. So like, at least show me, you can do this first. That's more gymnastic. It's like, if you're going to strive for something and really go out of your way to get something and weightlifting isn't your sport. I do think the gymnastics presenting that as a challenge as a confidence boost. I think there's a ton of merit there. Um, so I, I, I guess that's probably right on with what you're saying, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think there's, there's, there's definitely that side to it of like, if, if they're getting those, you know, that, that, those wins and bigger foundation, all those sorts of things. But then there is that side, like working with rug- rugby, you are against another human. So there is no kind of ceiling to it. Like it's, it is a continually increasing force battle and the players now compared to 10 years ago, compared to 20 years ago, like every decade there's more force in the game um, and they're knocking each other out you know, like crazy and it's, it's, it's brutal sport, you know, but it, you know, the, that side of it exists. So mm. you, you know, you always want to be improving rate of force development and an absolute force um, in these athletes. If, well, 
it doesn't always have to be the priority, but if it's improving and all other things are equal, yeah, then it's getting you, better. you're making them better, you know? So that was a huge focus as well. Like I'm a, I'm a big believer in weightlifting. Um, I'm, a, you know, I, as, as much as specificity says, you know, cleans and snatches and such aren't necessarily what team sport athletes need to be doing. I had amazing results with it. Like I, and I feel as though the carryover that I was getting from having those guys, you know, hitting better weights on their, their snatches and their cleans, the the specificity of that peak force and just really being able to accelerate that external object and being able to receive that external object strongly, you know, because people make the argument for just pulling the weights. You know, I I do think that that pass fail on basically throwing and catching, I think it was throwing and catching barbells. Mm-hmm. Like very few people would disagree with throwing medicine balls, but how the hell do you get a hold on 120, 140 kilo medicine ball you know like that thing's not going to move fast but if you turn that into a barbell something that's easy to grip these guys can throw and catch that thing right so they're throwing and catching you know i got guys up to 150 you know 330 pound cleans they feel like beasts like everyone on the field becomes light if you can throw and catch Mm -hmm. 330 pounds then relatively it's not the same challenge and when it comes to moving your own body weight if you're able to accelerate you know, 100 kilos overhead quickly, then, you know, you, you, you're you not going to feel that same challenge in overcoming the inertia of, of your body weight or, or an opponent. So, you know, I, I was, I, I do believe deeply in, you know, improving rate of force development, improving absolute force. You know, I like, I like heavy partials. I like the banded work as well. If you want to get into more controversies, everything everyone else hates, I love. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but like the, like the West side stuff, like I, I, you know, I think bands and chains definitely have their place. Like they, they encourage more rate of force development and, um, working harder at lockout. You know, that stuff is, is very good for sports. It's not necessarily what powerlifters need to do. To be honest, I don't care about what powerlifters need to do that much. I'm not working with with powerlifters, but that end of end range strength, which is a, a, what the lockout in a bench press shirt, you know, becomes about that end range strength. Like that's where you're going to be fending off uh, an opposing player. Like that's that's money. Like that's key for us. And and that last bit of of hip extension and the last bit of knee extension, like that's that's where the game's going to be won and lost. So if you can load that part of the movement up a little bit more then you know it's gonna it's gonna have more carryover. So, you know, I I'm a huge fan of you know focusing on the central nervous system aspect of the sport in the gym. I'm not really a fan of trying to mimic movements. And I to an extent you might think that contradicts like some of the Bonachuk stuff and, you know, Bosch and all these guys, but you know, they need to practice their sport. They need to produce a lot of force and then they need to practice their sport a lot. And I think that's ultimately what Bondachuk gets to because you get to throw all the time. You know, you do get to practice your sport a lot. If I can give them more power so there's more electricity leaving the brain to go to the muscles because that thing works really well because it's well nourished because it's been in the good lighting and all those things. But if that battery is supercharged and it can put out massive amounts of force and it doesn't drain to the point where they feel like they need to go to sleep, after a few hours of training a day because of the food that they're putting in there and everything, you know, if we can supercharge that battery and have it able to put out lightning bolts of power, then when they have to do that on the field, they, they go do that. You know what I mean? So I, th- I think that that side of things, you know, people can get lost as well. Like I, I love the, the Dan John 
the simplicity of some of the things that, that he talks about. I've had great results with easy strength. Like it's the stupidest program in the world. It's two sets of five on, you know, three exercises. And and then sometimes I don't even do the, you know, didn't do the kettlebell swings or the, mm-hmm. the ab stuff. Like that was kind of, but you can get crazy strong on, on that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. And <laughs> yeah, like that, that side of just teaching people to produce a lot of force and produce that force quickly like that that is a is a massive massive gift um the other side is then that you need to have healthy joints like you need to if your players play the most games if they practice the most if they have the least injuries like then you you're going to win more games too so you know we use the least number of players both years um that we won the regular season using the least number of players it's not necessarily coming down to who produces the most force it does to an extent. If you play a, a team of 12-year-olds against a team of 15-year-olds, 12-year-olds are going to have a lot of injuries. So you want to be those 15-year-olds. So I think we did monster a lot of other teams. A lot of other teams were like, what the hell are you guys doing? Like, you're just brutally strong. But then the other side of the equation, if you can train that range of motion and have you know really healthy tissues through length, and I think that was a, a huge part of the Poliquin influence is like, that bodybuilding side to strength and conditioning, which again, some people really want to reject like the Bosch approach kind of rejects that bodybuilding side of strengthening the muscle through the full range of motion and using your, your bodybuilding type training or your strength training as mobility training as, you know, building range of motion through the joints. You can create incredibly resilient athletes uh, with that. And if you piece all this stuff together, together with their nutrition, all those sorts of things, then you can create extremely resilient athletes and and that's that's ultimately the goal like put them on the field often and and have them produce the most amount of force and you know amazing you know good 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 things can happen on the on the other side of that you're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster yeah no i i I think um for sure the the strength through length stuff i had just had ben patrick on then charles poliquin and even got me thinking with uh ross jeff's the episode i did with him he was talking about uh just just working a muscle through the full range and then obviously i I said a million times the extreme isos and just like i i realized more and more that you must have full range general work in the program somewhere and all weak links must be addressed. And I think that we don't we don't pay that its credit. Hopefully it makes a comeback, right? Pendulums always swing. So hopefully that that's coming back. It's almost like maybe, you know, the the last decade, like, you know, I the train the nervous system, nervous system first party, a lot of neuromuscular stuff has been the rage. And you know, it's a good thing. Yes, we need to do that. But it's like you also need to be injury proofed. And uh and I also think that you also need to like iron out a lot of those muscle compensations that come with the working working the shorter lengths a lot. So, um, but I, I like uh, Keegan what you said too about like just getting the brain to output, uh, get a bigger battery, get the brain to output more power. And in some ways, that's where my definition of strength has gone. I uh, I know we don't have a ton of time left. Uh, I'd like to ask you. Um, so I'd like to ask you this: uh, what what direction are you headed now, and, and why? And um, so just tell us a little bit more about what's what's happening with Keegan Smith now, direction you're headed and, and what you're what you're what you're up to. Where are you where are you going right now? Yeah, I appreciate the the question, Joel, and yeah, thanks a lot for, for having me on and I, yeah, I appreciate this opportunity to to speak with you and I've been looking forward to it for a while. When you first asked me about coming on the podcast, I honestly 
didn't really know where I was going and that's why I didn't come on because I was like, well, what am I going to, you know, who am I? What am I going to talk about? Like I was going through a bit of that, that one of those times. And I think if we're honest, we all go through those times. Like there are times where you're just not spot on about what your direction is and, and how, you know, where things are headed. And the idea of coming onto a podcast with a, you know, a big listenership and someone that you respect, like, I wasn't ready to do that. And, you know, today I was excited to come onto this because I am clearer about, you know, where I'm headed and what, what impact I'm going to have. And, you know, that's, I appreciate the opportunity to, to do this. So yeah, basically for me now, it's about helping more coaches to really value what they do and understand the role that they have in the world. There are so many people in the world today who live in bodies that they don't want to be in. Like they, they don't, they don't want to be fat. They don't want to be, you know, having blood sugar and neurotransmitters all over the place where they, they feel like shit. Depression rates, you know, the amount of people that are on those sort of medications and pain medications, the amount of people with obesity and chronic inflammation, like we're, we're in a time of, of an interesting time and a time of crisis. And I believe, and the statistics and the science is there to back that up, that strength is one of the best gifts that you can give to those people. Like if you can help someone to feel and be strong and powerful, then they're living from a different place, a different perspective. Like you're going to change their physiology. And when you change their physiology, you change their psychology. Like I'm a huge fan of Tony Robbins and personal development. We spoke about that before the show. I love giving people a concrete experience. Like there is no question. You couldn't juggle. Now you can juggle. You couldn't lift that weight. Now you can lift that weight. You were fat. Now you're not fat. There's, there's no doubting that experience. Like you can hypnotize the shit out of someone, but if they have underlying metabolic issues yet, yet to an extent you can change that stuff with, with the subconscious mind. But why don't we, why don't we just change it in the concrete, in the physical, you know, let them walk around the world as a different person. And you know, that's where great things are going to happen. Like I love listening to, to Jordan Peterson and, and those things around, you know, the power of the individual. Let's, yeah, let's power up individuals. Like let's give people a body that they can be proud of and a life that they can be proud of. And we know that strength is, is one of the greatest gifts. We know the skill and giving them, you know, being able to do what you couldn't do before. So that's, that's the journey for me is, is getting people on that. How do you do that? Well, I decided when I left the NRL, I decided – I'm going to work with coaches because there's a multiplier effect in that. If I can help a thousand coaches, then I can probably help a million people. You know, I can definitely help 10,000 or a hundred thousand people if I can help a thousand coaches. And so I've worked with probably 200, 300 coaches, you know, since 2014, you know, quite closely. And then obviously, you know, lots more at a distance through the the wonderful world of, you know, social media and blogging and that sort of thing. But I want to help with. I want to help more coaches. I want to help them go to another level. And primarily, the difference between real movement and everything else that's out there is that I'm really on the journey with you, and I'm I'm transparent about that within the community. Like I'm going after this stuff the same way that I expect you to, and I want you to, and I expect you to. Like I want you to do things that you couldn't do before. Most courses, you go to the course and then you pay your money and then that's it. Like it's it's over. That's I'm not interested in that. You know, I, all of my courses have an accountability component to them and an ongoing, you know, learning co component to them and a community component. So we created a, a pretty strong little cult down here in Australia where in every city there's a group of people who've made some strong decisions about who they want to be and where they want to go and they hang out and train with each other and, and you know, go to another level. Like, and that's, that's what excites me. I, I fell out of love with it a little bit because I helped – 
you know, over 70 new facilities to open in Australia, like private strength and conditioning type of f- facilities and a, f- a few uh, overseas as well. But then they were all kind of just go off and do their own thing as as young males do and as everyone does. Like, And I was like, frick, like this is not really having a multiplier effect. Like these coaches are all helping people and it's cool what they've done and it's cool that a lot of them have gone from a journey from not believing in themselves at all and not knowing what they can do in the world and, you know, maybe having some of those deep, you know, psychological challenges and challenges that go on in, in society and, and they're in better places and they're doing better things but this is not going anywhere, you know, like so I fell out of love with it and I couldn't I couldn't do it so I stopped doing it. Um, but it was really a challenge around the business model and challenge around like how do we keep these people together because these people obviously value each other. They obviously like each other. They're obviously going to have more impact on the world if they stay connected to each other and if we do some collective marketing and, you know, then we can have an impact. So, yeah, basically I've put that stuff I've, – I've come up with some better solutions on the business models of how, how we can be more of a collective and how we can have that sort of multiplier and community effect. So, yeah, I'm rolling out, you know, level one, level two, level three – of real movement and it's teaching people how to how to coach how to get strong themselves how to implement you know those different lifestyle factors and all the things that we're talking about like there's there's the how element and i think that's what people want to know now like there's a lot of why and what i think a lot of people know that the world needs to change and they want to make an impact but it's like how do i do that you know and that's that's what i want to give with this this level one two and three and have these people you know be connected to each other um, powerful, you know, this powerful face-to-face experiences as well as, you know, some online stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about offering that and linking facilities to each other. Like I see the, the CrossFit world, you know, that's probably the biggest example of a, a social movement that comes, you know, out of physical movement. And that inspires the, that inspires me a lot. You know, like I, I really love the fact that Glassman's taking on, you know, big soda and, and those sorts of things. Like he's a man on a mission and his mission is very different to, to kind of CrossFit games and a lot of what people see there. Um, personally, I don't like doing CrossFit and, I, you know, whatever, but that kind of thing of like helping to create a community of people that, that change the world and that, that really believe in something that live by a set of values. Like that's what excites me. Like that's, that's kind of where I was going. So I was on that, political side of things and and you know reading a lot of Che Guevara and learning about what happened in Cuba and and learning a lot of Latin American politics and you know what happened in Russia and what you know how did America get to be the way it is and learning all that stuff is like okay like there's all these political systems and social systems and then on the other side there's like okay there's all this stuff of how to get people in great shape how to get them you know looking really good and feeling really good and being able to do lots of things that they didn't think they could do now it's like you know, I've, what I've been trying to solve over the last five years is how does that stuff come together to change the world in the way that, you know, I believe in in changing it or at least offering this other philosophy and system of living to people and then, you know, they can make, the, make what they want of it. But everyone's got a system of living. Mostly it's what your parents did, what the school system taught you, plus a few other influences like what your mates do, what your friends do. I don't think those systems have been very well thought through. I don't think those systems are designed for humans to thrive. And I think that it's really clear from the statistics that we need to shift that stuff. And I, you know, I love that Rogan and those people are having that conversation. Well, yeah, I want to, I want to participate in that conversation with a practical solution. Like I don't just want to be someone who's putting out, you know, political ideas or whatever, or criticizing from the sidelines. It's like, no, what, like practically, how do we solve this? Like, and there, there are communities of 50, a hundred people, you know, in a bunch of cities around Australia, these, you know, facilities have set themselves up and they're doing things differently. Like these people live very differently to the average 
Australian citizen because they're learning all these different things and they eat differently. They buy things at the shop and they buy different things at the shop. They think about educating the children differently. Like this is, this is the dream for me, Joel is like going deeper and on that impact. And so this is the level one, two and three is I guess the tool and it will continue to, to evolve. But that's the, the mission has been pretty clear for a pretty long time, like sleeping on floors in Mexico in little villages, like, I kind of knew this is what I wanted to do. I just didn't have any power to do it. I didn't know how it was going to happen. But now I, I sort of feel like there's there's something there. And then I think there's a lot of people out there who, who are looking for some other people they can link hands with to, to, to do something in the world. Like um, sometimes that stuff goes to sleep because we're just so busy chasing our tails to pay the bills and, and look after ourselves. But ultimately, like you got kids, I got kids, like the world they're going to grow up in is the world that, that we, that we create. So, you know, how's it going to change? The world's changed so much. The last 10 years, the world has changed so much, like 20 years, like think about, you know, when you got your first phone and when you first started going on the internet and that stuff has changed so, so much. So it's going to change so much in the next 10 years, but how is it going to change? You know, if, if, if Rogan and, and, you know, us, we have our way, like it's going to be a time of, you know, warrior people, king people, people who are clear about their journey and clear about, you know, not being not being pushovers and being you know being physically strong but being mentally strong being lifelong learners and we have the opportunity to live this renaissance period like this is what humanity's been working for for a long time to to get to a stage where we can put a lot of energy into to positive stuff and and we're kind of missing the boat with it at the moment the statistics would tell us you know life expectancy is decreasing in the US because because of suicides and because of drug overdoses like that's not how it's meant to go down like we we're in the t- this time of opportunity you know, what are we, what are we going to do with it? So, you know, that's, that's my goal is work with coaches and expand, expand a, a better philosophy, build systems, you know, solve problems and, and link up with other people who, who are on this kind of mission so that I can, you know, keep my own head straight more consistently to, to have the impact I want to have and not be one of those, you know, not be on the negative side of that. Like, I think we all have, we all know we have the tendency, the possibility to be amazing and be powerful and be great. We also have the possibility to be stuck in our own head and paralyzed and and not get not get much done. So, um, yeah, doing this stuff, like being on this mission, and definitely get out of bed better each day and helping other people to have that thing to get out of bed each day for and and be better for. Like that's that's the thing. Pretty long answer, Joel, but this is uh, that's why I wanted to be on the podcast now because I'm. I'm really clear about this stuff and I know it works um, and just putting it together. Right. And uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Ch- changing the world is no, no light task. Yeah. So it's uh, putting together the vision, the dream, uh, but keep on doing what but you do. We all do it. Yeah. Like we all change the world. It's just the scale, right? Every, like mm-hmm. you change your child's life and you change those athletes that you work with life. Like you can get lost in, yeah. Like, Oh, like he's talking crazy talk. Cause he's, you know, I, I do want, you know, billions of people to change but for the better in the way that they want to change like people aren't fat sick nearly dead because they want to be that way it's because they haven't been instructed and brought into habits that help them to live in a, in a different way you know what i mean so we're all we're all doing that we're all playing a part like that thing of insignificance like oh they're the politicians they make the choices like that stuff is 
their influence is less and less and and politicians know that and big tv and all that they know that their influence is fading like the influence now is people like rogan and and just people listening to their friends on social media like that's the influence so everyone has so much more responsibility to live well and you know live true live honest be be their best like it, it can sound like overly daunting and overly you know out there far away thing but you know, you're doing it. How many people's lives have you impacted with this podcast? Like if, if you're listening to this podcast and Joel's had an impact on your life, you should send him a message and tell him how this podcast has impacted their life. Because I guarantee you there's heaps of people out there who are like, this thing really changed my life. Like when I heard that interview and when I heard this one and then I started this thing because I saw Joel was doing it. You're like, you're like we're all doing it. I think underplaying our own significance takes away from our meaning and it takes away from how well we live. Like I ask athletes, if you were LeBron James, how would you treat yourself? Like if you were making the money that LeBron James is making, how would you sleep? How would you eat? You know? And they're like, oh yeah, well, I'll do this, this and that. Well, he did it before he got the money. Like, so just do it. Like do the thing now and more money will come. More power will come. Right? So if you were the most important man in the world, Mr. Joel Smith, like if you were the president of the world, if you were the president of the United States, or if you were the most influential man in, in strength and conditioning, like how would you go about your business? You know, and by imagining that for yourself and giving yourself permission to be imaginative and just step into a couple of the ideas that you think about there, like, Oh yeah, I'd probably do this. I'd probably train a little bit harder. I'd probably, you know, read a bit more of that or spend some, you know, like answering those questions. Like that's what we do with real movement. And, yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah. This this opportunity has definitely been a blessing, and it's it's brought a lot of awesome coaches uh, into my life, such as yourself. But that's um, that's all the time I have for the show for today, Keegan. But man, so much uh, wisdom and so much experience on your end. So I was I was totally stoked to have you. Thanks thanks for being on, man. Champion. All right, that does it for another show. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Appreciate you listening. Uh, if you could drop us a rating or review on iTunes, we'd totally be stoked about that. You know, I always should say that in the pre-roll, um, but for some reason I save it till the end. And my what my Blueberry host says that a lot of people tune out right after the episode is over. So I probably should put that at the beginning. Anyways, I would totally be stoked if you left us a review, preferably five stars, but whatever you feel um, this podcast is doing, let us know. And I totally appreciate that. Our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology, great blog, job board, really a one-stop shop for topics of sports sports performance and sports technology. We appreciate them, so make sure you check them out. We will be back next week with another great guest. Have a wonderful week, my friends, and uh, we'll see you next time.